this is one of those sermons that I'm going to get a little intense, so I apologize in advance. It's also one of those sermons that, just to be completely transparent with you, uh, it, how vulnerable you're willing to be is how deep this will go. You know, uh, at men's group, Phil was talking about uh, authenticity. If you want to be the most authentic version of yourself, there's a couple things that got to go on. It's how willing you are to be vulnerable and how much you're willing to tell the truth and receive the truth. That makes the most authentic person, okay? And so today, we're going to get vulnerable. Everyone says, I can be vulnerable. Like three people said it. All right, that's all right. We're going we're gonna to get there. Each of us in this room right now come with a different level of past hurts that you are dealing with. That's just truth. And when I stand up here, each one of you come with your sorrows, your injustices that happen to you, your stuff that you are dealing with. Matter of fact, knowing the way the world works, some of you are coming in with some really, really deep wounds. I'm going to be sensitive to that, okay? But we also know that you were treated unfairly in some ways, and we also know that the Lord wants to heal those things, okay? And so we're going to talk about these things, because each one of us have varying levels of unfairness forgiveness and bitterness that each one of us are carrying, myself included. And how well this sermon goes is how vulnerable I'm willing to be up here as well. Because each one of us are carrying these past hurts and challenges that we have. Some of you are dealing with stuff that has happened to you just recently. Like this is going to be the fresh wound kind of conversation, all right? And we're going to be sensitive to that. Some of you hopefully get uncomfortable in the chair are holding stuff from 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years of stuff that you're holding together, right? But all of us have stuff that we need to deal with. Can we all agree with that? Yeah. All right. Now, bitterness is a, is a funny thing when you really think about it. You know, the other day I was thinking about this. We live in the most ridiculous place in the world. Like, we are the coffee capital of the world. We literally have drive through espresso stands in Starbucks parking lots. Like, how our economy can handle this much coffee is actually amazing. I'm a Midwesterner, and when uh, my, my whole time, like many coffee shops, one coffee shop in a town of 15,000 people kept coming up and like three months later would close down because there wasn't enough business. We love bitterness here in the Northwest, okay? And it's interesting because it's one of the most expensive places in the world, but each one of you have a line item called coffee, am I right? Like each one of us are willing to throw some money down. But it's also extremely bitter, right? It's got caffeine, so it's good, but it's extremely bitter. And it seems like embracing bitterness is something that comes in with age. Have you ever seen a kid, uh, at least I, don't, I didn't give you the warning, but there's a video. Can you hit the next and see if it plays? Um, there's a video of these kids, and I, there's no sound, just hit play. Uh, and have you ever seen a kid eat, drink coffee for the first time? Like, they will spit it out. They will uh, say disgusting. They might even puke a little bit. You have to really, you really have to give them a lot of coffee. Like, look at this. Disgusting, right? But think about this. How many of us find comfort in our coffee, right? How many of us get cozy with our coffee? I'm making the case that many of us can get cozy with our bitterness. Is it getting a little rough in here, okay? We find comfort in our, in our bitterness. But bitterness and unforgiveness for some of us are holding us back. And some of us have found comfort in the bitterness, 
our anger and our disappointment and our resentment become barriers for us to move forward. But it's critical because Christ called us to be free. Am I right? Christ calls us to freedom and God desires you to be free today. And so today we're going to look at bitterness. We're in the book of Ruth. We're in the new series called the book of Ruth. And the whole thing is God's redemption and our loyalty. And so we wanted to do this story of Ruth because it's one of the richest books in the Hebrew scriptures, right? It's, it's a love story, if we're being honest. There's all kinds of characters that are going to come in, and it's at its essence is a love story, but it's also a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption. I shared a couple, uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, God is calling us as a church to join with Jesus, right, in redeeming all things through his presence. That's what Christ is calling redeemed church to do right here at Gravely and Bridgeport. This is our call. Now, part of that is our call is to be loyal and God does the redemption, right? It's not that we have to do anything different. It's that we are called to loyalness. We are called to faithfulness and we let God do the redeeming. And the story of Ruth is over and over again. God redeeming situations. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what sorrows and pain you are experiencing, the story of, of Ruth is about God using ordinary people to redeem things. Let's go. Let's cheer. All right. And we see the aspects, we're going to see aspects of God and Jesus through this whole book because we're actually going to see that this is Jesus' ancestry at the same time. It's a beautiful book. So I'm really excited. Let's set the stage. Famine, like Marty talked about last week, has come to Judea. So Elimelech took his wife, Naomi, and their two sons and fled to settle in the land of Moab. The sons each married Moab women, Moabites, Moabites, I think that's right. And, and basically, they go into this foreign land and they marry uh, uh, these women. Now, the, the Moabites were a race who were not of the Jewish faith like Elimelech, right? And so what we see is at some point, Naomi's husband dies and her two sons die as well. And so she leaves Bethlehem for 10 years and this is now her story. And so we pick it up here, Ruth 8 uh, and 14. We're going to go back what we went through last week because we're setting the stage up for what we're talking about with bitterness. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people, by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, will, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to two, two sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. 
At this, they wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Now, I want to start here, and I want to be clear. Naomi has trauma. These last 10 years, there's a lot going on. Like Marty talked about yesterday, her, her husband moves her from her community. All that she knows, she moves from Bethlehem. That literally means the house of bread because they have no bread. And she goes there and she's left empty. And Moab actually empties her even more. She left Bethlehem completely empty. And she goes to a foreign land and she's emptied even more. In the next 10 years, her husband died, her children died. And in this context, as a woman, you are left with nothing. That's what's going on. She was emptied of all of her resources. She had no food, she had no home, and she had no male support. In those days, that was everything. She's completely emptied. This is her present reality, which in those days meant that her future was hopeless. Okay? This is what she's dealing with. But by God's grace, she hears that there's food back home. And so she takes, starts getting her, her daughter-in-laws with her. And she prepares them to go back. And as they're going back, this conversation is happening. Again, this is a tough road for women. And Naomi has experience of going back to Moab as an alien herself. And so she recognizes that in her life it's going to be very hard for these women to now be aliens in Bethlehem, okay? And so she's like this, I've got nothing, I'm completely hopeless. This is the groundwork, all right? Verse 13, she self-described, did you catch it? She self-describes her life as bitter. And so she pushes the girls away. It is so, so light, so, so often we see this with our lives. It's bitter and love that she begins to push people away. She pushes her daughter-in-laws away with firmness and tenderness. Again, within, in her bitterness and in her love, she's, push, she's pleading her daughter-in-laws to go back. Unlike her, they actually have an opportunity to reverse their life circumstances. She has no hope. She is an old woman, she says, and they have a chance to reverse their life's circumstances so they should go back to their original houses because their original houses have security. That's where security is going to be. And so out of her love and out of the midst of her bitterness, she blesses them to leave. And in the middle of this blessing, we're introduced into this key the theological term in this whole book. Did you catch it? Ruth 1.8. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husband and to me. Now this word kindness in the Hebrew is this word hesed. Hesed, all right? And what, is see, what we see is that there's a challenge with this word because the English word doesn't, their English language doesn't have a word that can translate this well. It's really interesting. It wraps up, it's a word that wraps up all the positive attributes of God, all right? And so it's hesed is love and covenantal faithfulness and mercy and grace and kindness and loyalty because it's amazing because we see that, uh, that, that Naomi is operating. She said my life's bitter. She's operating out of bitterness towards God and at the same time she's acknowledging who God is as the kind one. Hesed, right? She's living in this, this, this tension of really struggling with God, but at the same time knowing that God has covenantal love and faithfulness 
and mercy and grace and kindness and loyalty. I want to ask you, have you ever wrestled with this? Have you ever had to wrestle with this? Because I have. You feel a sense deep, a deep sense of injustice and pain and sorrow that has happened to you, and bitterness begins to creep in. But at the same time, you see seasons where you ask God, Why did this happen to me? And at the same time, you know who God is. Do you ever wrestle with that? Where you have this bitterness that's in you, and yet you also know who God is. I still deal with this a lot. I've found healing, but I still deal with this a lot. Uh, my dad was in and out of the family, and I, I don't share details, just so you know. My, my dad and I uh, don't currently have a relationship. Uh, I'm still called to honor him, so I'll never share details of what went on and on, but I had a tough childhood, all right? And so in junior and senior high, uh, it was in and out of the house, and eventually, right before my senior year, he decided to leave the family. Now, uh, there was a conversation. It was a tough conversation. I remember it vividly. It's one of the most vivid memories in my life, and I sat on my back porch after my dad told me he was splitting and uh, I have a, a moment of just deep sorrow and pain and injustice and in that moment I vividly remember having a conversation with God and, and actively choosing bitterness. Now what did that lead for me? I lived two years of partying, wildness, drugs, alcohol, everything and out of my bitterness, out of my bitterness I chose that life, alright? Now I come back to Christ in a, in a radical way. But at the same time, I've never struggled more with still having the bitterness of what happened to me, the injustice of what happened to me throughout my childhood and knowing that God was hesed, right? That God was loyal, that God was kind, that God was faithful, that God was merciful, and that he was full of grace. And I lived in this tension for Ever. Now, I still live in this tension. I have found healing in my life, but I still live in this tension, and maybe you do as well. I will say, and my wife knows this, if I meet somebody more successful than me, which is a lot of people, and they grew up with a, a great family and a great dad situation, I deal with bitterness. I get angry. I'm like, why did I have to live with all the trauma and the ups and the downs of life that I currently live in, and then they get all this good stuff and they're more successful than me and God pulls me back and he says I'm healing you from that I'm healing for that from me yes an injustice happened to you but it doesn't change who I am and who I created you to be and all the goodness of that right each one of us deal with this on a daily basis for some of us for some of us we found healing that there are injustices and things that happen to you but God is hesed Verse 13 is clear that she's dealing with it. It's more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She's bitter. Naomi's dis disposition turns to show that her life, what her life really is. She is embracing bitter. She is embracing bitter. She is finding comfort in the bitterness. And she blames God for her crisis. And Naomi feels like she is the target to God's wrath, to the, the, the divine hand of God who's now stretched out, she says, against her. She has been exiled to Moab. Her husband and her sons are dead. Her daughter-in-laws are barren. And Naomi is clear that the cause of her troubles is God. And here comes this weird tension that Naomi finds that all of us find at points in our lives. We live in the tension 
of things that we may accuse God of bringing into our life and at the same time the tension of knowing who God is. And she's imploring her daughter-in-laws to understand that they would get the graciousness of God, the kindness of God, the one who provides. And we're often faced with this, dealing with our past challenges and hurts and our bitterness towards other or maybe towards God. And at the same time, keeping in mind who God is. She's blessing him and urging him. So she says this. I want you to go and take the easier route. Let's keep reading. There's this turning point in the season. It's a story again. Verse 14. As at this they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her. Mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. All right? Let's not blame Orpah here. Orpah makes the, makes the, the she does a cost-benefit analysis like we've talked about. And she takes the more natural course, right? It makes a lot of sense for her not to go with Naomi. She was going back to Bethlehem. She's never been to Bethlehem. She's going to be an alien and a widow at the same time. And she's, this is the, what is happening if she goes. She's going and she's going to experience more bitterness. That's what she's going to experience. Like she's never experienced before. And so she goes back to what she knows. Orpah goes back to what she knows. But it says here, Ruth remains firm and she clings to her. Ruth, in that moment, is choosing to remain and swim upstream with Naomi. This is, what she's, this is what she's doing. She's choosing the harder life. And this next part reveals Ruth's heart. It's one of the best scriptures in all of the Hebrew text. I, I love this part. Now, before I read this, this section, I want to say something. It's interesting because the book of Ruth, we're going to see over and over again, it's mostly dialogue. It's actually one of the most beautifully written books. It's back and forth, back and forth. Matter of fact, there's 1,294 words in this book. And, and, and of that, 678, or 52%, just for the math nerds, is, talk, is, is talking back and forth. And Ruth, the book, the name, the, the name of the book, she, out of all the characters, speaks the least often. Isn't that interesting? She speaks a lot, lot the least, and she, her speeches are the shortest. And you'll see over and over again in this book that Ruth's actions are what make her stand out. It's not about what she says. It's her action and her loyalty that makes her stand out. So let's get in this because we're going to see courage and spirituality clearly expressed here. Mark Ruth 1, 15 through 18. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Ruth has to stand up to Naomi for a fourth time. This is the fourth time where she's like, you see what your, your, the other daughter-in-law did? Now you go with her, right? And there's a depth in the request. And the option is for her to go back to the Moabites, to go back to her people and her gods, right? This, is the, this was the call, right? The, the gods were territorial. So it was like, go back with your people and go back with your gods. This is the responsible thing to do. Not to cast your lot 
but in an unknown future because that's what Ruth is doing. And her alienness to, uh, to the people and then her God, Yahweh. And Ruth responds with power and intensity. She's like, Naomi, stop pressuring me. I'm going with you. She's counted the cost and she's like, I'm going, to, I'm going to go and your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your land will be my land. This is what she does that is basically not just saying I'm abandoning you. It's not saying I'm going to stick with you. What, what she's really saying is that I'm going to accompany you for the rest of your life. And what she's really saying when she says where you go, I will go. And when you, where I stay or where you stay, I will stay. She's saying I've experienced a lot of grief with you in the past and I'm choosing to experience more grief and pain and loss than we did ever before. This is what she's saying to her. This is what loyalty looks like. And she's de declaring that bitterness may keep coming, but we'll do it together. This is what Ruth is saying. This is what loyalty means. Loyalty is not, I'm going to hang with you when it's easy. Loyalty is all the stuff that we've gone through, all the pain and the sorrow that we've gone through, that's probably nothing compared to what we are going to be going through. And she says, I'm going to abandon all that I know and all the security, and I'm going to choose more grief and pain and sorrow and loss with you. That's what's happening. She's adopting Naomi's family and faith, and she's abandoning all security. And she's acknowledging that the one true God, Yahweh, is the witness of this pledge. In front of God, I make this pledge. But Naomi doesn't quite understand it. Ruth 1, 19-20. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she, said, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She walks back into her community, and there's a stir in the whole town. It says, can this be Naomi? Now, there's two ways to look at this. Number one, they might just be surprised that she came back. There's a level of embarrassment and shame. Do you ever feel that when you go on your own way and you come back and you have to come sometimes with your, your tail between your legs, right? There's a level of that. But number two, she's been through a lot. The last 10 years, if you lose your husband and you lose your two uh, sons, you probably have a level of looking a little different. So maybe it's even, is this tool, this tool is visible? And they're like, is this really who it is? She left Bethlehem as named Naomi, which means the pleasant one. She was probably really robust in her prime. She was probably kicking it, right? But she comes back and she's like, I'm, I'm a destitute old woman. This is who I am. And so she's like, I don't, you don't seem to get it. And so in the middle of all the buzz of her coming back, she uses a short line, and she's like, her pain, her sorrows, her frustrations, they demand a new name for her. And she left Bethlehem as Naomi, and she came back as a different person, and she says, I must be called Mara, which means to be bitter. To be bitter. The depths of Naomi's bitterness is fully shown here. So now what can we learn from this? We talked about we're going to be vulnerable. This is the story of Naomi. Now, what does it mean for us? Number one, bitterness can make you miss how God is moving. 
I see it over and over and over again. People come into, uh, into our offices for counseling or to, to talk, and, and they're holding on to their past hurts while trying to find freedom at the same time. And when you hang on to your past hurts while trying to find freedom at the same time, you cannot see the connect of how God is moving in your life and the redemption that he's trying to bring, right? Naomi's life dramatically changed. There's no denying it. And in her bitterness, she can begin, she can miss the beginning stages of God redeeming her life. She gets to move back to her home, to her people. Yes, she's lost a husband. Yes, she's lost her children. But she's coming back with a daughter-in-law who is extremely loyal. God is beginning the redemption process in Naomi's life. This is the toughest thing for you to do in the midst of your pain. I want to be bold and I want to be sensitive here because I know people are carrying a lot. But sorrow, pain, anger, grief will come your way multiple times in your life. There's no good part of the story on that, okay? I wish that it could be prosperity gospel out of, the, out of my mouth right now, but the truth is that pain and sorrow and loss will be part of your story. It just will, right? I don't want to dismiss feelings. I'm not saying that we move quickly past grief and sorrow and loss. We are called to lament. There is a season of lamenting. That's a good thing. If a church tells you not to lament, if they tell you to put a smile on their face, that's not the right thing either. But we need to keep those feelings in their right place at the same time. Because we can let bitterness set in. And when bitterness sets in, it gets a little foggy in the old mind. Do you guys agree? You can't see how the Lord's moving in significant ways in your life. Right? Bitterness can now be the lens that we see everything as. Um, for two years, bitterness was the lens that I saw everything as. Bitterness towards my father and towards God was the lens that I saw everything with. And then we, when we do that, we maybe don't see or maybe we don't want to see how God is beginning to move. That's the other thing. Sometimes God begins to move and we don't even want to see it. But I don't want to miss God's redemptive power in our lives. Let's look at Paul. Now, I have to admit, Paul is like next level in my life, right? Or next level compared to me sometimes. But he's hardcore. But let's look what he says. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. He's being jailed, and he shows how he moves past bitterness to hope. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul gets put into jail and out of this place where I would be bitter if I got put in jail for no reason, he's like, no, I actually see God's redemptive power moving throughout this. Think about that. He's in chains and he's writing to the church. And at the same time, he's seeing God's redemptive power move. Instead of Paul's ministry ending because of his bondage, it's beginning to be advanced. When you get to a place where bitterness keeps you from having any vision in your life. You cannot move forward. I'm going to say that again because I feel like not very people recognize that. When you get to a place where you, when bitterness clouds 
your, your vision so much that you can't even see how to move forward. You can't see God's redemptive power within it. You can move past bitter, bitterness, even in the midst of our sorrow and our pain. Or even better, you can keep bitterness at bay like Paul seems to be doing here. Being open and trusting in how God is going to move. Number two, bitterness can make you miss when people are trying to love you. You ever feel that? Bitterness can make you miss when people are trying to love you. Let me love you. I'm like the puppy dog. Do you guys know if I've ever walked alongside you? It's like, let me love you. But bitterness can keep you from it. Ruth is one of the single greatest example of loyalty and love in all scripture. Naomi's bitter outburst when she gets home shows that she's completely missed it in some ways, right? The significance of Ruth's pledge to her is this. And we see Ruth expressing God's character to us. Ruth is showing God's love and mercy and faithfulness. In some ways, Ruth is living out James 1.27. She's taking care of the widows and the orphans in their distress, right? She's living out Christ to Naomi, right? She's living out God to Naomi. When you live in bitterness, you can begin to push people away, people who love you deeply, people who in your time of need really want to help, people who are loyal to you no matter what, and you can miss how God is moving through others. Do you ever feel that? Number three, bitterness gives you a warped view of yourself. Bitterness gives you a warped view of you. Naomi can't see herself past her bitterness. Do you see that? She can't see herself past her bitterness. She sees her life as over. Bitterness is now her new identity. So much so that she changes her name. Notice God doesn't change her name. There's lots of changing names in the Bible. And it's God changing her name. But here Naomi changes her own name. Bitterness should never be your identity. Marty talked about this last week. We go through hard times. We watched this great video. Hard times, you just do hard better, right? It's not a matter of hard times ever leaving you, but instead, it's can you do the hard things better? Now, here's the problem. We live in a society now that finds comfort in bitterness. And so we can put on the new identity of bitterness and all of society is saying, put that identity on yourself. Give yourself a new name. Give yourself a new identity. We can find comfort in this bitterness. And we can take on a new identity that we were never meant to take on. Like Naomi, we can't even come up with a vision of what our life would look like past bitterness. And so we walk around with this warped view of ourselves. And while God calls us to be overcomers, while God calls us to be more than conquerors, but many of us think of ourselves as Mara. Many of us are saying, my name's just Mara. My name's bitterness. My new identity is bitterness. I can't even move past it when Christ is calling you to be more free than you could ever even imagine. Amen. Look, I want to end here. Uh, you can come on up, Allison. Bitterness at its very least will hold you back. Bitterness at its worst can completely wreck your life. 
And I've seen it over and over again. At the very least, there are things, there are injustices, there are things that maybe are left unforgiven in your heart. At the very least, it's holding you back to what Christ really has for you. At his very worst, it's completely wrecking you right now. Suffering and injustices is by no means sin. What happened to you, whatever it is, is not your fault, but how we react to it is what matters, right? We have to deal with past hurts and sorrows and injustice and unforgiveness and anger and sadness and disappointment because if you don't deal with it, if you don't deal with it, a cycle of hurt just continues. No matter how unjust the situation, many of you have been through things that are unimaginable. Many of you share the same story that I share. Your mom or your dad left your life at a certain place. Many of you have experienced past hurts and pains and abuse that I can't even imagine. Things that you've been holding on to for years and years and years. But I want to challenge all of us to take our stuff and not avoid them. To deal with them. Not through anger or bitterness or isolation. I want us to deal with it because if you're not, you're just planting landmines for the future. If we don't deal with the, the bitterness in our lives, the things that were, were the things that happened to us that we need to forgive and we need to find healing from, we're planting landmines for our future that are gonna over and over and over come with the same pains and hurts. If we don't deal with the bitterness in our lives, we can begin to push people away. We can miss how God's truly moving in our lives. We can miss how people are trying to express love and we begin to take on a new identity that we were never meant to be. It's a normal, it's a normal expression after we experience pain to run away. But pushing through the pain to be healed is the hard part. As difficult as it is, healing and freedom is what God desires. If we don't, the enemy is going to come and he's going to say, just embrace the bitterness. Find comfort in the bitterness. Get cozy with the bitterness. And the enemy would love us to embrace bitterness because he's trying to push you as far away from God as you can. The God who is Hesed whose love and mercy and faithful and graceful and loves you more than you could ever imagine. And the past hurts and the injustices and the sorrows that happen are keeping us from moving forward and saying, Lord, I trust you with my future. The Lord wants us to bring stuff to him, stuff that was never your fault, but you need healing from. So go ahead and stand up. I want to leave a little extra time because I believe that the Lord wants us to do some prayer ministry up front. So I'm going to have uh, Meg and Liz and John, do you mind coming up? And Phil, do you mind coming up as well in the front? This is the time that I get to ask you to be vulnerable. And there may be one person, there may be 50 people, there may be nobody, and that's totally fine. But I think the Lord wants us to 
pray together as a family where you're going to be vulnerable. If there's some stuff, some unforgiveness, some un injustices that you're holding, some things that you just want to experience freedom in, I think the Lord wants to begin to break some chains that have been bonding, holding us in bondage for a long time. Some things that maybe we just need to express with our mouths that I just need to forgive and bless somebody who did something against me. Or, Lord, I need to come and at the same time holding that something that maybe I blame you for, understanding instead that you are hesed, that you are love, that you are mercy, that you are grace. There's so many things that each of you are carrying. So we're going to do our fourth song and we're going to be up here and uh, willing to pray with you, just to walk you through praying to reach forgiveness for the things that you've been holding back. To begin to forgive and bless maybe people who have harmed you. To release the need to understand why it's happened to you. And instead declare release and healing from your past hurts. I think that the Holy Spirit through this talk has been speaking to several people in here of some things that they just need to be prayed over. Maybe something that you haven't even expressed with your mouth. It could be the smallest things. I, I hold on injustices that are very small that I have to put bring to the Lord and say, I forgive that person for what they said. I forgive that person for what they did. I forgive that person for how they made me feel. And the release that happens when we do that. We begin to find healing and freedom in Christ. So I'm going to open it up. The band's going to play the fourth song. Maybe it's just something you need to deal with the Lord at your own seat. But if the Lord's calling you, come up and get prayer over whatever the Lord places on your heart. So Heavenly Father, we don't want to be bitter anymore. I don't want to be bitter. I need to be forgiven. You forgave me so that we forgive others in Jesus' name. We don't want to hold bitterness. We don't want to find a new identity in bitterness. So Lord, would you show up and move in a mighty way. Holy Spirit, speak to who you desire. Lord, search our hearts. Anything that we're holding back to walking in full freedom, Lord, reveal in us, Lord. We trust you as the one who loves, the one who brings mercy, the one who forgives, the one who's always faithful, the one who's loyal, hesed. We trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.